Welcome to another episode of No Doubt, where we will look at current events, people, and everyday issues and language from a Shin British perspective, and then talk about in-depth points that delve more deeply into the doctrine of this tradition. My name is Takashi Miyagi, and I'll be your host. Let's get started. So today I would like to look at the issue of interfaith dialogue and how we can approach um, people who have different religious views uh, from ourselves. Uh, recently I've been to a number of different events um, involving people of different tradition and faith traditions from uh, Christian backgrounds, Shinto and other Buddhist schools. And um, it kind of dawned on me, you know, how, how would we look at um, this issue, especially in today's world where um, people um, are becoming increasingly kind of... Um, um, uh, hostile to each other's views and it's um, you know the 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 forums and the venues in which we can have opportunities to talk to each other um, seem to have kind of dwindled um, in a sense and so um, you know I, I give a lot of credit to uh, uh, my class uh, you know because uh, in our discussions we've this this came up in one of the topics and so um, this is a shout out to to the um, IBS and, and the class that I um, that I teach that um, um, that uh, spawned kind of this this idea in, in discussing this issue so um, you know when we get told by other people you know um, I think um, there's a common phrase or this common thinking of, well, all religions are in the end trying to get at the same point, right? Um, and it seems like um, that's the end, end all to the conversation, uh, meaning that we don't want to continue on with the conversation of religion and the differences between the various traditions. And this is what, what one of my students um, um, told me. And, and I think, you know, this is, I've come across many instances like this as well as well as you know i've probably said this a couple times too um um, just to kind of you know get the conversation to end um before it kind of opens up um a whole can of worms and the discussion gets kind of you know really involved or even possibly even heated oftentimes we use this or other phrases like well let's just agree to disagree right or um um, yeah, so something along these lines. Not not just as a way to stop the conversation from getting heated or keeping the peace between the parties involved in the dialogue. I get I get that, and I can respect the intention behind saying something like that. Um, 
But at the same time, you know, I'm not sure that's the appropriate response for every single situation or every every single time that we talk about um, religion and the differences in religion or the differences in uh, the different various religions. I think many times when people say that, there is the idea of implicitly implicitly wanting to say, well, all the religions are the same. And that is why it's just easier to get with my beliefs because it's more mainstream. Um, or um, another way, uh, another thing that's implicitly kind of stated um, is, you know, that's why what I'm saying is more right. You can believe whatever you want, but I'm right and I know it. So it's probably better that you believe in what I believe in because it's tried and proven. And so, um, you know, these kinds of different ideas are implicitly kind of hidden within these um, seemingly um, nominal and, and harmless kind of um, phrases of, well, let's just agree to disagree. Or, uh, well, all religions are trying to get to the same point in the end, right? Um, but implicitly, there are these kind of views that, you know, that's why you should get with my understanding of the worldview because, you know, mine is the mainstream view or, uh, or my way of thinking isn't wrong. So you should just get with my way of thinking, right? Um, so um, that's kind of implicitly stated in in a lot of these um, in a lot of these cases. And I think this also ties in with the idea that the other person wants to say, "Okay, I can fit you into this category or box now, which I agree with or disagree with, and I can be done with this conversation. I don't need to communicate with you anymore because I know enough about you." I've made my decision about you. And then the conversation is over with. You know, and I have to admit, you know, I've done this myself many times, you know, but um, is it okay to keep doing this every single instance? At what point are we going to have a serious conversation, um, if ever, right? A serious and cordial conversation, if ever. Maybe all of the problems that we are seeing in society today is because. Um, enough time has elapsed, let's say since like the civil rights movement when people were more frank to speak to each other and, and open to having dialogue, that we don't know how to speak to each other anymore. Sometimes living in this country, you know, I, I, I don't feel like we're in a functioning society. Why? Well, um, there's a lot of different examples I can give. There, for example, there's no universal health care. Our education system is in shambles and, and we don't treat our teachers right. Um, in every major city, we can distinctly mark where each ethnic minority group lives. And there is little to no conversation between these groups of people. And we only seem to put up with each other when there is money or a transfer of goods involved somewhere in the transaction. Other than that, the blacks live over there, the Hispanics live over there, the Asians keep to themselves over here, the rich people on the hills over there, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? That we can we can group them into certain sections of, of, of a major city. And I think this is what happens a lot of times, especially with ecumenical work or interfaith dialogue as well. We as Buddhists are, are taught that we should be respectful of other people's religious traditions and views, especially because we are in the minority here in America. So there is a certain degree of, of superficial respect that is shown and given uh, towards other religions and, and vice versa. 
but I'm not sure how deep that respect truly goes. So my question is, you know, is that okay? Is it okay to just end on a, on a kind of mutually superficial, nominal respect? And um, is that truly ecumenical work? Is that truly interfaith dialogue? Is that okay? And I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, especially in today's day and age. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, I have found, for me, it's, it's like I have found this worldview that speaks to me the most, right? Buddhism. And I don't really have the time, nor quite frankly, the interest to go necessarily to go uh, and look any further into other worldviews. However, at the same time, I know that we can get caught up in our own own worldviews and that it's important to be able to listen to other people's ideas and worldviews too. Um, but how can I do that, especially when more often than not, there are other people who are much more hostile towards my worldview. How can I come to have the patience to be willing to listen to other people's thoughts when it's clear they don't have any tolerance or patience for mine? Is it okay to not have dialogue altogether with other people of other religious faiths? And I think what Shin Buddhism would say to this is that um, dialogue is needed it, it is essential but um you shouldn't kill yourself over having to do that with everyone that you see right everyone that you come across i think it's important to be aware of our limitations as an individual human and to then you know pick the people that we we do decide to communicate with in some instances the people that we might pick to have a dialogue with are our friends it starts you know you know very in a, in a in a intimate kind of setting right so you know that way there is already the groundwork in which everybody involved in this conversation can feel comfortable enough to speak frankly with each other in other cases it might be that the closest church is like a mormon church or a sikh temple right um i think you know the 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 geographical location of it, right, of just it being convenient, right, that there is a, a person of a different religious tradition down the street, um, might be another way in in which to um, to have, you know, this this karmic connection to uh, to be able to have this dialogue. I think that the karma that brings you um, to whoever it is that you talk to will lead one to determine whether that other party is worth speaking to or not. But it certainly isn't the case that we have to speak to everyone or that we feel it is incumbent on us to have to speak to everybody. Um, we only have so much time in the day. We only have so much time that we can allot to this endeavor. Um, and it is, you know, um, it is taxing, right, physically and emotionally, right, to, to engage in any kind of, you know, conversation with other people. So, you know, we have to choose wisely. I don't think we should feel the need to, you know, again, have to speak to everyone. And I think, you know, there is a certain degree of personal chemistry with the other person that also enables interfaith dialogue to occur. So telling ourselves that ecumenical work is important um, and that is why we need to and should talk to everyone isn't realistic in my opinion. I do believe that ecumenical work, interfaith dialogue is important, but... Um, in a kind of, um, uh, um, it, there has to be a concerted effort 
on both parties or who, who, whatever parties are involved in this, right? It can't just be nominally done um, in order for it to be truly um, ecumenical. To have a, a truly deep and thought-provoking conversation between religions requires the individuals involved to have a certain degree of mutual trust and cooperation that is prerequisite to the conversation. There needs to be a personal connection where we feel comfortable talking to um, others. That's important for true dialogue to take place. I also think some people are more capable than others in being able to handle conversations like this. And on top of that, I think this is something that we can work on and get better at in being able to have these conversations because it requires a certain kind of, of language. It's like speaking, you know, with 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 children. You know, I don't have this specific skill set, but I know many people that do. And and they got like that after being around kids for so long, right? And being experienced in that environment. And some people are better at it than others. They're definitely better um, at it than I am. Um, or it's like speaking to a group of academics, right? Again, this is something that I'm not good at, but I know a lot of people that are good at this. And, and um, you know, there is a language that's involved uh, that is um, different from the, the, the vernacular or colloquial language that I use um, on a daily basis. And that language is dynamic um, in that it's, it's spontaneous and that it changes, um, um, you know, uh, according to the, 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 the context that it's in. Um, and that takes a certain degree of getting used to. Some people are better at it than others, again. Um, you know, and, and I know of people who are very good at this kind of, you know, speaking in this kind of language as well. It's the same English language, right? Um, but very different ways of speaking. So um, what do we do when people shut us out? What do we do to people who are openly hostile to us and don't want to have a conversation with us, right? You know, I can, I can imagine situations in which, you know, um, Buddhist chaplains will um, uh, try to engage in a conversation with, um, you know, people of the Christian faith or other faiths. And those people will not want to talk to, you know, a Buddhist chaplain and will say, you know, um, to leave, you know, that their room and, and, uh, and to not and don't want to engage in a conversation. Um, and I think, you know, in those cases, um, you know, there isn't really much we can do, we just have to kind of pick up and leave. Um, and I, I, you know, in some respects, I think this is where Buddhism gets a bad rap. Um, not because we don't stand up and fight back to people who are hostile towards us. I think it, rather it's it's because we are perceived as being too passive and too weak, too um, un- indecisive and unstable in our own positions. We're not comfortable under our own skin, so to speak. And that's the way we are perceived, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think that we shouldn't mistake this kind of kindness for weakness. It's, it is not strength to fight fire with fire. That's just a waste of our time and resources. It is much more effective to contain the fire so that it dies out on its own. And by that, um, I mean to show your influence and affect the people around the aggressive ones. Um, in other words, the people who are still open to hear you out right? and, and engage with those people rather than the, the people who are openly aggressive and hostile. 
It's a long drawn out way of stamping out the fire. But if time permits, this is the sure shot way of putting out the fire. I think this is where true strength lies. The strength is in knowing where to put our strengths. And I think that's by having dialogue with people who are willing to have a dialogue with us. Jodo Shinshu Buddhists are often perceived as being too passive and indecisive. I'd like to kind of uh, talk about this a little bit more because I think it's true. You know, I've come across this myself. I've I've seen this position um, in in the way others speak about Buddhism, and um, you know, in my own personal research too, I I, I often see cases in which, um, um, yeah, uh, Jodo Shinshu Buddhists especially um, are are perceived as being passive and indecisive um in in our religious views and as a result there are many people both within this tradition and without this tradition uh, um, that question just what exactly is our religious identity but i think we have to ask you know the more fundamental question of just what do we mean by quote-unquote religious identity because if you're saying that one's religious identity is defined by how one acts in society or what stance one takes in a given social issue or another or one's political views right informed by that religion or that religious identity then we are using essentially external factors to determine what that religious identity is and this is highly unstable it's based on the given context of time. Your religious identity can quickly and easily change, right? Like it's kind of like a leaf that being blown away by a gust of wind. It can, it can sway to and fro and be easily changed. Or if we are using um, charity work or philanthropic work to determine our religious identity, then the question is, well, why do, we, why do I even need to belong to a, a religious tradition to do that, right? I can just do that 
you know, out of my own will, out of the kindness of my heart. I don't need to be a part of a religious organization to do that, right? Um, so that too has 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 kind of is separate from uh, one's religious identity. So then, what's the true source of religious identity? And I think this is where many people are just not willing to spend the time to dwell on this issue. But um, from a Jodo Shinshu perspective, religious identity comes from the spiritual or existential struggle that one has with him or herself. So what is that struggle, you might ask? It's the struggle of not being able to find a way out of this world of delusion and suffering, of life and death. It is in this inner conflict where one sees the limitations of the ego mind that desperately tries to solve this incessant problem of life and death, or the cycle of life and death, that the world of truth comes to manifest itself and make itself known to the individual. This struggle continues and continues until one just cannot find any resolution to this matter, no matter what one tries to do. So much so that one is brought to forfeit the mind. The mind cracks, so to speak. And it is in this utter collapse of the inner struggle, the implosion from the civil war that takes place in one's heart, in which the world of clarity and warmth, wisdom and compassion, light and life springs forth within one. The source of which, the source of this light and life doesn't come from you, but it embraces you nonetheless. And when this occurs and one collapses only to regain consciousness and now becomes aware of being carried on the back of the Buddha, that the individual's religious identity becomes solidified. It's like getting your second wind, a revitalization in life, only now you know you have something much stronger, much brighter, much more uh, formidable to rely on to give you strength. This new religious identity is immovable. It is immovable because its foundation isn't created by you. It is provided to you by Buddha, the world of truth. But that karmic connection to the Buddha Dharma is crucial because if one does not have this connection, then that person remains in the state of confusion and spiritual angst. So this religious identity isn't subject to the whims of a changing society, nor is it subject to the fickle and often impulsive ego mind, which will quickly change its position to cater to itself. I'm reminded of a, a, of a joke uh, that a political prisoner will quickly change his views on politics in exchange for a cigarette in jail. So in the same way, given the right conditions, our views on the world and our values are always in a precarious state. They're constantly changing and it's constantly subject to change based on um, whether we see that, that, that change to be advantageous for this self or not. They are so because 
um, they are precarious because we are relying on that which is unstable and fickle to try and find something permanent and unstable. It's kind of like building a house on quicksand, right? The house can be this gorgeous, formidable, um, and it looks to be what is uh, what will last forever. But if it's built on shaky foundation, on quicksand, for instance, it's not going to last for much long, or for for it's not going to last for a long time. And in the same way, our values and things we hold dear um, to us don't mean diddly squat because they're based on the ego mind. And the ego mind will quickly change if it sees an advantage for itself to change. So in short then, Xinjing becomes the religious identity from a Jodo Shinshu perspective. Xinjing um, is, uh, is translated as entrustment um, but another way to put this in the context of our discussion here is to explain Xinjing as a term used to describe the phenomenon of being given the assurance that there is a world of clarity and warmth that one was previously unaware of. If I was to use the previous example, it is regaining consciousness and realizing that you're um, now piggybacking on the Buddha's back. That's what Xinjing is. It is the crack in the ego shell that we are cocooned within that allows for a small glimpse of light through. That small glimpse of light is just enough to let us know that there is a way out of this trap and that this seemingly endless maze does in fact have an end. This suffering doesn't continue on forever. That's the assurance. That's what Xinjing is trying to get us to understand. Or that's what Xinjing is. It's the difference between, um, be, between being told you have to be in prison for just a while, a little while longer versus being told you will be in prison indefinitely. If you know there is an end, there is hope. There is joy, there is calm, right? Despite the, um, the, 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 the dire situation that you're in right now, which is to be in prison. But on the other hand, if you don't know when this will end, there is hopelessness, there is sorrow and angst, there is unsettledness. And this is why Shinan explains in his hymns, he states um, the following, quote, if we had not encountered Amida's directing of virtue for going fo forth and returning, our transmigration and birth and death would have no end. What could we do then, sinking in this sea of pain? End quote. And then he continues on to write immediately after that, quote, When we entrust ourselves to the inconceivable Buddha wisdom, we dwell in the stage of the truly settled. Those who are born transformed in the pure land, are of superior wisdom and they realize the supreme enlightenment." End quote. So basically, in a nutshell, he explains that if we hadn't encountered Amida Buddha's great wisdom and compassion, we would have continued on in this sea of pain. But now, because we entrust ourselves to the Buddha's wisdom and compassion, we are living here and now in calm assurance of the end to our delusion. So that there is this, the assurance 
that this delusion will end. So in short then, everything is going to be okay. And that's the understanding that arises within one. Everything is going to be okay because we learn to stop trusting the ego self and instead to trust the Buddha's wisdom and compassion. This conversion is all it takes, but it is also really damn hard to do. <laughs> and, um, and it's actually, in fact, as a matter of fact, not something that you can do, right, per se. It is something that happens to you given the right karmic conditions. So to conclude, we talked about the importance of ecumenical efforts or interfaith dialogue, but also to remember that we shouldn't just do it for the sake of doing it, but rather that we are genuine in wanting to find out more about other people's paths to their truths and their worldviews. In short, ecumenical work is hard, bro. <laughs> and, um, you know, when, when, when people say, uh, well, all religions are just trying to get at the same point in the end, or, you know, well, let's just agree to disagree. I think something that we need to kind of remember is that we have to have a firm religious identity uh, and what our tradition is before we can even begin to have a conversation with other people. That requires us to seriously engage um, with with our own tradition, Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, to seriously uh, question this self and who this self is and um, in our relationship to Amida Buddha's great wisdom and compassion. If that doesn't get done, then, you know, all bets are off. There's We can't even do... Um, you know, we can't have a true dialogue with other other people, let alone philanthropic work or or um, you know, social work and, and 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 social engagement and these kinds of things. We have to first engage with Shinan's thought. It is in a relationship of mutual trust that true interfaith dialogue can take place. It is also probably better to stay away from people who are hostile towards the Buddha Dharma. Instead, it is better to work with people who are at least somewhat receptive to open dialogue and hearing more. Finally, with regard to our religious identity, this is found in Shinji, true entrustment. It is a moment when there is a dynamic shift from relying on the self to be able to attain truth to recognizing that truth already grasps us and that we are made to let go of our ego selves and naturally come to rely on the Buddha's great wisdom and compassion. In other words, the world of truth. We shouldn't rely on external factors to try and define who we are. We always need to keep in mind that to be a Jodo Shinshu Buddhist is a personal journey, a personal struggle, and a path of introspection. Only when this occurs only when we have the audacity to challenge our ego selves can we then truly engage with the outside world. Thank you for tuning in today to another episode of No Doubt. I'm your host, as the Master Vasubandhu states, O world honored one, with a mind that is single, I 
take refuge in the Tathagata of unhindered light, filling the ten quarters, and aspire to be born in the land of peace and happiness. Take care, Dharma friends. Until next time, Namo Amidavits. Uh, once again, and if uh, you're interested or you want to learn more about um, this kind of content, I do have uh, stuff on YouTube. If you just punch in Southern Alameda County Buddhist Church, it'll come up there. Um, and uh, we also do accept and and would be very ecstatic uh, for any and all donations that can be made, uh, which can be um, done through sacbc.org forward slash donations. I do also want to make a plug for the Institute of Buddhist Studies, which is located in Berkeley, California. I know there's a lot of people who are um, across uh, the globe um, and who are listening to this. And so if you might be interested in learning about um, Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, Shinran Shonin's thinking, or, or just Buddhism in general, please feel free to look us up um, on Shin hyphen ibs.edu once again that's s-h-i-n hyphen ibs.edu thank you very much